The following contains descriptions of physical violence, sexual violence, and graphic descriptions of autopsies. Hey guys, this is Izzy, and just a quick editor's note here. This week's episode had to be done over Zoom due to the fact that I was sick, and because we had an international listener guest star on today's episode. So that's why the audio might sound a little bit different than you're used to, and I just wanted to let you guys know. Welcome back, guys, to episode 10 of TGIC Podcast. Today, we're doing, like, this really cool case because it was, like, unsolved for so many years, and now it was solved. And so let's just jump right into it. I'm Jillian. And I'm Izzy. Before we start, I wanted to recommend another true crime podcast. So if you love our podcast, we are positive that you will love Morning Mugshot Podcast. This is a true crime podcast hosted by Kelsey and Taylor. Each Friday, they bring you all things true crime with a new episode. You can find them anywhere you listen to your podcast. Follow them on Instagram at Morning Mugshot Podcast. All right, with that, I'm going to go ahead and just get right into the background. Angela Angie Marie Simoda was born on September 19th of 1964, so she was 20 years old at the time of her death, and she was born in Alameda. Do you know how to say that, Izzy? Yeah, Alameda. Alameda, California. And, like, she was so pretty. Like, she had really pretty hair and was brown, wavy hair, and she had green eyes with this, like, big smile. Like, when I started researching this case, like, that was something that really stuck with me, how big of a smile she had in all of the pictures I saw. Exactly. And if you look up this case and you look at the pictures of her, it just, like, it honestly made my heart break when I saw her because she's just, she's so freaking pretty, guys. So, at the time of her death, she was attending Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Dallas Texas, And she was really smart and she studied computer science and electrical engineering at her college. And like, I feel like that's a really big deal to be like a woman in STEM, especially in the 80s. Yes. But yeah, exactly. Like, I don't even I don't think I've ever heard of anyone now, like any women, especially who studied computer, like electrical engineering in college. So it's like a really small group of people. And like, especially in the 80s, she's had to have been like one of the only people doing that. Yeah, I can only imagine. Anyway, she was in Zeta Tau Alpha sorority. I can never pronounce sorority names, I swear. Like, I know they're, like, Greek something, but, I can, like, the way they're written, I can't pronounce them. Yeah, I can never either, unless they're, like, written out, because sometimes they use, like, the Roman, like, numerals and, like, letters and stuff, and I just, I don't understand. I can't read Roman numerals. I can't either. I, I don't, like, that. Like, I don't get it. I'm, like, placed in, like, a level of a class at school. I, like, don't know which one it is because it's written in Roman numerals. I know. I always have to look them up. That happened to me when I got my schedule last year. (laughs) Anyway, so she was in the sorority, and she was currently a sophomore in college. She lived in an off-campus apartment with her female roommates. I'm kind of unsure about how many. I tried to guess it was, like, two or three, but they don't really, like, mention exactly how many there were but she was living with female roommates. I feel like that's important to mention because of the circumstances of her case. Anyway, she had a boyfriend at the time and they've been dating for more than six months. So I guess this is pretty serious, right? Yeah, and I mean, they never really mentioned like exactly how long they were dating, but like, I feel like she was really close to him when I read stuff about the case. So I'm like, you can assume that it was over six months, maybe a few years even. Yeah, 
Angela's friends described her as very outgoing and kind, and her friends always said that she could light up a room and she always seemed like she knew everyone around her. And like, that's a very typical thing I feel like to say after someone dies, but also like from seeing all these pictures of her, like we mentioned her smile earlier, I could really see her as being someone that really could light up a room when she walked into it. Exactly. And especially since she was so like intelligent, like that's something that I feel like would also make a lasting impact on anyone who met her. Yeah. Do you want to go ahead and start with the timeline? Yeah. So the night of October 12th of 1984 was the last night that Angela was seen alive. So Angela and her two friends, uh, one male and one female, went to the State Fair of Texas and they never really specified their names. Like that's something that I found interesting about this case. Like nobody's names are really released unless they're like suspects. And even then it's like kind of sparse. Like you never really find specific names. I think mostly because of like the age of this case, it's harder to find people that were like, I guess, side people on the investigation, like people that weren't suspects or necessarily persons of interest either. Like, I think it's just harder because this was all uploaded to the internet, like after the crime. Yeah. And like we said earlier, Simone, like Angela had a boyfriend at the time. However, he like chose not to go out with them that night because he had to get up early the next morning for work. And they, like, after they went to the State Fair of Texas, they ended up going to the Rio Room Dance Club. And they stayed there until after midnight. They never really specify a time, probably, like, around 12.30, 12.45. And they danced and talked with other people at the club. And Angela's friends say that she was walking around and talking to everyone while she was there. And they said that it was like she knew everyone, like she could just spark up a conversation with literally anyone and talk about like deep stuff, which was interesting. So the complete opposite of us. Yeah, literally exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And at 1 a.m., Angela was dropping off her friends at their respective houses slash apartments. And she first dropped off the girl that was with them. And I believe she lived at the sorority house And then she dropped off the guy who also lived in an off-campus apartment. I think he lived, like, both of these people didn't live far away from her at all. I would say, like, probably five to ten minutes away. I'd imagine the college campus is pretty compact. So, like, even if you're living off-campus, everything's pretty close together. Exactly. And I feel like in the 80s, a lot of people didn't have cars. So maybe they wanted to be close so they could walk or whatever. And after she dropped off her friends, she went to her boyfriend's apartment to say goodnight, and then she went home. And at around 1.45 a.m., she had left her boyfriend's apartment, and she was at her apartment. And she called her boyfriend and said that there was a man in her apartment who said that he wanted to use the bathroom in the phone. Um, Okay, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Like, why did you let like why don't let people in your house don't let people in your house I can't like say it any clearer just if you don't know this person or like you're not sure about their intentions don't let them come in to use your phone or your toilet or whatever like just don't let them in exactly and it's almost 2 a.m at this time and the thing is she never stated if he was already in her house when she got home or if he came in shortly after she arrived back well why would like, that not into her house if she wasn't home? Exactly. None exactly. of her roommates were home. Um, and Angela is quoted in saying, like, talk to me, to her boyfriend on the phone, so that the man would know that she was, like, on the phone with someone. And okay. I mean, this is, like, all too common. Like, like, 
Yes, it's very smart of her to call her boyfriend and say, like, talk to me and, like, make sure she's having a conversation so this guy knows, like, if he's some sort of bad guy, like, he won't try anything because she's on the phone with somebody. But, like, also, just don't let the person in. Yeah, exactly. Like, especially if he's a creepy dude. Gas stations have bathrooms. Exactly. And he was in a college, like a tight-knit college community you know what I mean like it's not like he was in some like rand like I just I don't understand that not to mention she lived in an apartment so yeah yeah. like you'd have to like pinpoint this apartment you and like go through like an entrance like it's not like you're just walking up to someone's door exactly and so like almost directly after she said talk to me to her boyfriend she said that she would call him right back and she hung up the phone Um, and then he like never received a call back from her and she didn't pick up when he called and he called multiple times. And so that's when he decided to go to the apartment and to check on her. And he arrived at her apartment at around 2 a.m. And he knocked on the door, but there was no answer. And he was like crying for Angie and like all this stuff and nobody answered. And then he tried to open the door and it was locked. And he ended up calling the police on like an early days mobile telephone that he had gone from his construction job. And when I read the description of this thing, it was like a satellite phone. Okay, I am a little thrown off on this. Obviously, this is not something to like make him suspicious because like I'm sure they investigated the fact that he had this phone. It's not like a big controversial detail, but like. I, why would you have a mobile phone for a construction job? I don't get that, but that's... I yeah, think. I don't really understand that either, especially since he was in college and he didn't really have, like, a big job at the construction... You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he wasn't, I mean, there's no like, point in disputing this fact, but it's, like, I wanted to point it out because I think it's so strange. Yeah, it is really weird. And then by 2.17 a.m., the police arrived at her house and beat down the door after realizing that something was, like, seriously, seriously wrong. And they discovered her lifeless body, and it was on her bed. She was completely covered in blood, and she was naked. And, I mean, I can only imagine how traumatizing this was for, I mean, the police officers, but also for her boyfriend who was with them, like, to see her. Terrible. Like, I just, I can't even imagine. And... I'm going to talk about the autopsy a little bit, which is pretty brief, but an autopsy would later reveal that she had been raped and stabbed in the chest, specifically in the heart, around 11 times, Um, which is like a lot, a lot. Like, that's what you hear when it's like a crime of passion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, okay, this is the craziest thing to me. When the police did like a full sweep of the house... They got semen, blood, hair, and partial fingerprint samples from the crime scene. And these were, like, never really tested. Okay, but there's reasoning behind that. Yeah, but I mean... They had the technology available at the time. They wanted to save it in case, like, it could be solved at a later time. Because, like, technology changes a lot over the years. And once you use it for, like, tech, like... Sam, I don't know what do you what do you call that like forensic testing once yeah. you use it for that you can't really use it again so they were trying to preserve it in case they could solve the case later on yeah and I do get that because sometimes you have cases where like 
they'll use all of the forensic evidence like the very beginning and then not get anything from it. And then years later, they won't be able to test it again. Exactly. And like it's infuriating during the investigation, but it ends up up paying like off later. Yeah. And like the crime scene was just like super messy and sloppy. And you can imagine like if this was done like more recently, like in the past five or 10 years, this would have been solved like pretty quickly just because there was so much forensic evidence and like nothing had really been done to conceal anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they couldn't do anything with it. That's so like infuriating to me. Exactly. So then the case just basically went cold, like almost immediately because they had no leads. Yeah. It's like, it's so hard to work with that when like you have all this DNA evidence, but you can't use anything against it. And then you don't have anything else. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to jump ahead into the suspects of this case. So the first suspect that they looked into briefly, like the original investigation actually never really named suspects. So this is just like who they kind of investigated, I guess, in the like first days of the investigation. So the first person they looked into was the boyfriend, because obviously they look into the boyfriend. Every case they look, they like start with the boyfriend of the husband. Exactly. So they thought he was suspicious because a, he could have made up that whole story about receiving the call from Angela. Like, I don't know how well like the cell records and stuff were able to be tracked in the eighties. I'm actually really unfamiliar with that, but it's totally possible. He made up this story. And even if there was a phone call, you can't like track the content of the phone call. So he could have called her, but it could have been like to clear his name and back up his story, you know? Exactly. And I mean, now we know that like kind of basing like things against specific people for crimes based on like phone records and what like cell phone towers they pinged off of and stuff is like kind of baseless. Like it, it, it's there's always be exactly like there's reasonable doubt with it. Anyway, so this is also possible because we didn't really get into this earlier, but there was no signs of forced entry to her apartment. But like we had said, like the theory was that she had let this person in, but also she could have let in her boyfriend because they were dating. And like, why wouldn't she let him in? You know? Yeah, exactly. He also, as we said earlier, worked on a construction site, which like, I don't know how reliable this is, but like he could have had access to like a knife or a sharp object to stab her. Right. I mean, true. But like, if you think about it, he, I don't know. There's just so much stuff like, like that points to him as not being guilty. I mean, yeah, he could get like a, a knife, but like, I don't know. I mean, anyone could get a knife. Like, that's the truth. Like, it could have been a knife from her own kitchen. I don't think that information's ever been released. Yeah, exactly. And then like, to my knowledge, he wouldn't have a motive. And then also like, well, he could have had a motive. He was the boyfriend. That's always a motive. True. Yeah, I guess that is true. All right. Do you want to talk about our other main suspect? Yeah. So the guy friend, this is the guy that you went to the fair with and the like Rio dance club with. So like the attacker was a non-secretor and so was this friend. So like that secretor, not secretor. I don't know why I said (laughs) secretor. And so was like this friend. So this means that like they did not leave behind like saliva or semen. 
But like, he was never really investigated formally, I guess. He was just like a person of interest. You know what I mean? Well, everyone and, was kind of a pers- person of interest in the original investigation. Like, I don't know why that is, but they never named suspects. Yeah. And then also, like, the blood type matched the perp. Like, like I said earlier, how they got, like, blood, forensic evidence at the scene. Like, they could really only do, like, blood typing then. Which like, is the, the worst, the worst kind of DNA, like, testing. Exactly. I mean, like... Do you know how many people have certain blood types? Like, what's the most common one? It's like O positive or something, right? Or o yeah, negative? I think so. Something. There's one that's like really common that like the majority of people had. So like, just if this guy had it and the attacker had it, there's like no, basically no connection. It's just like, you know, it's there's like a slight link of the DNA. Yeah. And then also, I don't know, it's just like, if it was this guy and the boyfriend really did get a call from Angela... Then why, why wouldn't she, she say his name? name? Yeah, exactly. Like, why would why she would say this random guy? Why would she be scared? You know what I mean? Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, they and were then, hanging out the night before. What would have prompted her to, like, call her boyfriend to make sure she was safe, you know? Yeah, exactly. And he also worked on a construction site, and he lived in the building, like, in a different part of it, which is okay. kind of suspect. But, like, at the same time, I, I, I don't know. Both of those well, suspects, I don't really. If you think about it, though, like the guy friend, he he lived in the building. Like he had the access. He also worked on a construction site. Like it kind of makes sense, except for the phone call aspect, unless like him and the boyfriend were in, in on the alibi thing together. Yeah. All right. So I want to introduce a special guest. Um, last week, we had an Instagram contest where you were able to enter and have the opportunity to come on our show for a couple minutes and share your thoughts about this case. And so congrats to Roni and follow us on Instagram at TGIC podcast if you want to win more contests like this. Roni, do you want to come on now so you can share your thoughts? Okay. Um, can you hear me? Yes, we yes. can hear you. Um, so I think it's, it's really sad because, um, she, if, if it's not the boyfriend, then we really don't really have any way to know who it is because it could have just been a random guy who came and he was creepy and killed her. Um, so that would be really sad. Uh, but between the two suspects, I think, um, the boyfriend is more, he's more suspicious to me because um he he could have he could have made this he could have made this call up uh because there's no there's obviously no evidence of the of the phone call so he could have just it he would have had to be very a uh, very smart and just would have had to be very planned out yeah which, which is why i don't really think it was the boyfriend but it could have been because there's no way to like there's no way to prove that the phone call didn't happen that's a very good point uh but the i think the the guy friend she i she would have just said she wouldn't have said this like this guy came and he wanted to use the bathroom she would have said she would she would have said um my friend came and she wouldn't have even she wouldn't have even like called and said talk to me so, so she wouldn't be scared if this was someone she knew and if this was her friend, which is why I don't really think it could have been the dad's friend. 
All right, Izzy, do you want to share the final result? Okay. So, first off, I just want to say I totally agree with Rhody about the fact that, like, out of the two suspects we just shared, it was most likely the boyfriend because, yeah, he totally could have made that call up and, like, everything. Like Jillian was saying earlier, he could have had motive. But this case has been solved. And this is the result. So, Sheila with Wysocki? That's how you say it. Okay, so Sheila Wysocki, she was like Angela's best friend and her roommate at the time. And at the time, like her, she was visiting family, I believe. So she didn't really hear about this until one of their other roommates had called her and told her what happened. And like, So she ended up being a stay-at-home mom in like the 2000s. And she was still really upset about the fact that this case literally went cold. No, it's got to be like really hard. Like she was close to her and it's got to like really stick with you when it's not solved because you don't like this terrible thing happens to your friend and you don't even know what happened. Like you feel so helpless. Exactly. And so in like, this was 2007. Am I right? Yeah. So she had a spiritual experience where she was reading the Bible and she said that she saw Angela. Um, Yeah, she said that she saw Angela and that Angela was like, that was a message that she needed to solve her murder. And now if you're murdered, I will solve your murder. Thank you. Do not wait for a spiritual awakening in order to solve a murder. I would really appreciate that. I'll just solve it right away. No question. (laughs) Yeah. So she called the Dallas Police Department nearly 700 times in 2008 to have her case reopened. Her phone bill must have been through the roof. I mean, yeah, like that's freaking insane. And she ended up even getting her like private investigator license so that she could have access to the like documents, like her autopsy, the crime scene photos and all of this stuff. Which that's, that's just like, that's so insane. Like she went from a stay-at-home mom to a PI. For like her friend's murder, not even just like a random case. Yeah. So they ended up reinvesting the case, like reinvestigating the case and solved the case because of her persistent demands. <clears throat> because of her persistent demands. They just and- like, that's so crazy. She pushed them to like solve this case. Like if without those phone calls, they might not even reopen the case and then it could still be like a cold case. Exactly. Okay. So like we said earlier, like the DNA testing in 1984 was not like necessarily available. And if it was, it wasn't very trustworthy. And in a lot of cases, like, like a judge wouldn't even let you like enter that into evidence in a trial because they're like, it's just, there's no way it's accurate. So in the 2000s, it was accurate. So they retested the DNA and it matched to a, na- a man named Donald Andrew Bess. And before I say anything else, this guy is so creepy. Like he's, he's freaking creepy as hell. The like, first time Izzy saw a picture of him, she thought he looked like a blowfish. He does. He's freaking <laughs> horrifying. Okay, so the only reason that they, like, the DNA matched, because this guy was in prison serving on three sexual assault convictions from 1985. The year after he did this to her. Yeah. 
And he had been released on parole seven months before murdering Angela. And before that, he was convicted of rape. And that's why he was on parole. That's insane. They should not let rapists go on parole because things like this happen. Exactly. The thing was, she wasn't like just raped. She was brutally murdered. So, yeah. It's just terrible. Like this all could have been prevented if like he wasn't let out on parole. I know. And I mean, okay, think about this. This is so crazy to me. This case would probably still be a cold case if like Sheila like hadn't had her quote unquote spiritual experience or she like hadn't pushed the police department to like reopen the case. Exactly. Crazy. There's like so many just like coin, not coin. What is that word? That's it's not coin. Like a chance, I guess. Like fate, destiny. One of those things. Really worked hard to solve this case, in my opinion. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, so I'm going to talk a little bit more about like this whole theory regarding the creepy Donald Andrew Best guy. So Bess told Angela that he needed to use the phone in the bathroom so she would let him in. That's like the theory. But again, I have to restate this because I feel like every time I say this fact, I need to tell you, like, tell people to go away instead of being polite. Just tell them to go. I don't exactly about it. Like you could be so polite. You could be like, hey, there's a Starbucks down the street. Use that instead. You know, like there's ways to be polite about it without letting them into your house. I know. And you just like, okay. If someone is creepy and you, like, don't let them into your house, everyone, especially, like, at a young age in America, especially, I don't know if this is true for other places, is told you need to be polite to everyone because, like, that's the way to stay safe. And that's the way to stay, like, on good, like, good terms with everyone. That is not true. But then you're also told stranger danger. It's, like, so contradictory. Like, how are kids supposed to figure this out? Exactly. Like, you have to find a balance. Like, yes, be nice to the people that you know and are comfortable with. But if you don't know people, don't let them into your house. (sighs) Especially if you're alone. Like, don't do it. Anyway, the theory goes on to say, like, when he was, like, let's say he actually did go in to use the bathroom at first. He goes into the bathroom. While he's in the bathroom, she decides to call her boyfriend to, like, kind of make sure that she has some sort of protection against this guy. And then she hangs up. And then when he comes out of the bathroom, it's assumed that he rapes her and attacks her. But this is the creepiest thing. I read in an article that the theory about this is when her boyfriend, like, came by because she never called back and, like, was knocking on the door that he was actively raping her. And that's like why she was murdered because no. he, didn't want, he didn't want her to like be like, she, either she was trying to cry out for help or try to leave and get her boyfriend's attention, but he didn't want to be caught. So he killed her instead. Oh my God. Like, it's just insane. Like, because also this makes sense because as we mentioned earlier, he was a convicted like rapist and he had sexual assaulted sexually assaulted people in the past but murder had like he never murdered before he didn't murder after so it makes me think it was like not planned because he just was not like trying to get away and not get convicted oh my god anyway this terrible person was eventually convicted in 2010 for the sexual assault and murder of angela samota and he's still currently on death row in texas Hey, Ronnie, is that what you expected as the outcome? Um, it, I think it kind of is. I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm happy, but I am like, 
I'm, I'm kind of happy that it wasn't the boyfriend because that, I feel like that would have been even more heartbreaking. Um, but I did think that it was the most, the, the most like the, the theory that made most sense. And also I wanted to add that, um, even if you do let him in, if you're like scared that if you don't let him in, it'll do something. I would think that if he's in the bathroom, you could run, a, you could run away and maybe like wait until he leaves the building. If, if you feel unsafe. That's yeah, exactly. Or like lock yourself in the bathroom. Like, seriously, just lock yourself in the bathroom and this wait it out. This definitely highlights, like, safety precautions that you should be taking. Yeah. And it, like, like we said, it's literally teaching you, don't be polite. If you get a bad, a bad vibe from someone, don't be nice, be mean, and tell them to leave you alone. Exactly. Lock your doors. All right. Well, thank you listeners for sticking with us for 10 episodes. Actually, this is kind of funny, but when we started this first school project, 10 episodes was our like official goal, I guess. Obviously we plan on making more episodes, but we did make it to our official goal. So thank you for listening for 10 episodes and thank you, Roni, for guest starring on our special episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. And we'll see all of you guys next week. Bye.